Remember Joe Montana? <laughs> Anybody who's a Cowboys fan doesn't want to remember him, do they? Um, huh? Well, he's, he's hawking tennis shoes or something now, isn't he? I mean, Skechers or something. Um, he, um, he became known as the comeback kid. Uh, he played for Notre Dame and uh, back in the late 1970s, and he played for the 49ers most of his career. He played for a little bit with the Chiefs, as I recall. Um, but he won, uh, he won most valuable player honors in three of the four Super Bowls that he won. And uh, in, um, he became known as a comeback kid because of his reputation for leading his team from coming from behind to some dramatic victories. Maybe we need to suit him up for the Thunder, okay? Uh, the word, the, the uh, figure I read is 31 come-from-behind victories during his career in the NFL. That's pretty impressive. I think he deserves the, the name, the comeback kid. Well, we're going to talk today. Now, now, what we're dealing with today is the aftermath. Okay, it's the same story, just kind of, okay, and then uh, of the fishing trip that we talked about two weeks ago. Okay, remember, Jesus and the disciples met in Galilee and had this well, wonderful fishing trip, and I told you it was the best breakfast ever and the best fish fry ever, certainly. And um, so this is kind of the next little bit right there, final 11 verses of John's gospel. Um, now, there's something I want to take on, and don't brand me a heretic yet, okay? But I've heard lots of sermons over the years dealing with this passage. And they typically talk about, uh, a lot of times the preacher or the teacher will take on the two Greek verbs that are used in this passage uh, in Jesus' question to Peter, do you love me? Um, I've also heard others that will deal with his, question, with his answer, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. There is a play on words with the word no in this passage, uh, K-N-O-W, also in English. But there's really not a whole lot of evidence that John intended uh, anything really significant by this variety of words. Let me just illustrate, okay? Uh, I, I, Ron and I have gotten into her more than me because he's from Alabama, you know, and I'm not. I don't get to be as much into things from Alabama as she does because she's from Alabama. But, but we, um, we've gotten to where we read Rick Bragg a bit. Now, ladies, do you take Southern Living or boys? Do you, any boys in Okay. The last page of your Southern Living every month is Rick Bragg. He's hilarious, writes about Southern culture. Well, I know it's in Rick in one, in one paragraph will use three different words for a dog. Uh, he might say, uh, the dog then came up to me and the pup did this and the puppy said, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you use cat and feline in, interchangeably, maybe, in, in speech. Um, uh, maybe you use the word uh, welcoming and hospitable interchangeably. Uh, automobile and car. Uh, my my father-in-law has a question that he's asked of lots of people over the years, and certainly of me. Somebody's really admiring some fancy car they drive up in, and he says, do you like that as much as you would an automobile? There's a gig intended there somewhere, but uh, so we kind of use those words interchangeably. You, you kind of get that. Well, uh, John uses words, words, for instance, the word love is used, translated interchangeably 
in his gospel all the way through. Uh, sometimes he uses one of those words, verbs. Sometimes he uses another one. And he kind of uses them uh, interchangeably. So it may be that John used these different words as a matter of style, like Rhonda's friend Rick Bragg. Okay? Just to be interesting and stylistic. Now, again, don't brand me a heretic, but I don't think, at least, that you can automatically say, well, then when, when he asked Peter, do you, um, do you phileo me? That's talking about brotherly love. And then he comes back and says, do you agape me? That there was some different question there. I'm not sure that's the case. But hang in there with me, okay? We'll, we'll kind of deal with it anyway. Um, the other image that we want to deal with uh, is the image of a shepherd caring for, guarding, protecting his sheep. A great uh, both Old Testament and New Testament metaphor that's used. I happen to love it because, mainly because, uh, I've done a lot over the years in one setting or another to espouse and teach and train people to shepherd other people. And in John 10, I particularly am fond of Jesus' naming of himself, not as the good leader, not as the good CEO, you know, not as the good president. He calls himself the good shepherd. Sounds like to me he was interested in that metaphor. And I don't think it's, uh, just because we don't use it as much anymore, I don't, um, uh, Dr. Tom Oden, who died uh, here this last year, uh, first got me thinking about this, that that's not, this is not a metaphor that's out of vogue. It shouldn't be out of vogue. It should be still used. It's not just because they spoke from an agrarian background. It's still a worthwhile, useful metaphor for us to use in describing how we take care of one another. So Jesus is going to talk about that here too. Now, let's go to John 21. Against all that backdrop, um, Jesus is going to call Peter to shepherding here. And... Um, and it will be in the backdrop of that fishing trip and of Peter's denial and all that stuff that we talked about two weeks ago. Cindy, oh, we want to pray for Steve. Steve's not well today. Would you fill in in his stead and begin with uh, chap chapter 21 and read 15, 16, and 17? Thank you, Cindy. Now, I want to talk about a couple of words that are used in this couple of verses here that are easily misunderstood, and I'm not sure one of them in particular I completely understand, but I want us to talk about it a little bit. The first one I, that I think is pretty easy to unpack is it says, and they, at the beginning of verse 15. Did you catch that? And they. Now, what we've got to make sure we understand um, um, is after, it, it, it's talking about after that, um, that breakfast of fish, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, uh, Simon, do you love me more than these? And uh, so in the NIV, there's this, there's this uh, comment there that they, now that they here um, uh, refers back to 21.2 and um, to um, uh, 
if, if you remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. We looked back, uh, by the way, the NIV says when they had finished eating. So it was a little bit different translation of what I, what I read from, from the New American Standard. But um, So when they, they is, okay, if you look back to 21.2, it is Jesus and seven of the disciples. So there's eight of them. When they had finished breakfast, okay? So I think that one's pretty clear, that they is the gathered group of disciples plus, plus Jesus, the, the post-resurrection Jesus, which just makes me crazy to think about. I just love the thought. Okay, so they, the question then Jesus asked Peter begin, to begin with, his initial question to him was, do you love me more than these? And I've never been really clear what the these was. How about you? Lorana couldn't help but think. I'm thinking about a lot of songs we used to sing today, obviously. Uh, when, we, when I still had hair, Ron and I used to sing an old Gaither song, often called Lovest Thou Me More Than These. Yeah. Maybe you've heard it. It's a great, it was a great, in those days, it was a great duet. Probably now it would be a great solo for her. But... Um, um, Lovest thou me more than these? Now, Gloria, when she wrote the song, interpreted more than fame, more than wealth, more than the world, as I recall. Hubert, you probably sung that song too. Um, so it's not real clear what these mean. So a couple of suggestions. It could mean that he looked at the boat and the nets and the how many 158 fish? What was the count? I forgot. They, they gave a count. Remember we talked about that last time. How many? 153? Okay, I'd forgotten the number, but it's right there at 21. Um, uh, so is he saying, is he looking at the fish, and does Jesus gesture toward the fish and the boats and the nets and say, uh, Peter, do you love me more than these? Because remember, he'd gone back to fish. Do you love me more than this? This life of fishing. I don't know. I don't know if that's what he's asking or not. Does he point... To the six others, do you love me more than these? I don't think Jesus would do that. What do you think? I don't think that if he were here, um, and he would look at this table, and there's seven of you here, he would say, Ellie, do you love me more than these? Because uh, he knows the answer, right? Okay. Now, I just don't, I can't put Jesus asking a comparative question like that. Even though we know that, Peter is the kind of de facto leader after Jesus becomes the leader of the church in Acts, but all, as, as does James in some way. Okay, I'm, I'm going to repeat it so they can hear it. Do you think he meant his, his life and everything he used to do? Well, that would be in, uh, indicated by if he was gesturing toward the boat and the nets and the fish, I think. Here's what I think is a no-brainer answer to this. I think, regardless of what we interpret the word these to mean, I think the implication here is, do you love me supremely? Do you love me supremely most of all? Fair enough? Do you love me more than anything else? That question has been in my mind all week. Lovest thou me more than these? And 
he leaves it up to me to fill in the blank of the these. Lovest thou me more than you fill in the blank. Okay? That's a question we kind of got to deal with it a little bit, isn't it? Do you love me supremely? We could go right now. I was in church all day. Okay, I went to an early service so I could hear the preacher preach, and at, at another campus in St. Joe, and and um, uh, and then then I drove back over to Stevensville so I could hear Jake lead and hear another preacher preach, and uh, and then we went to a two-hour service that night, and uh, by the way, um, uh, we got there Friday, uh, and uh, went to. Um, Little Orphan Annie on Saturday with, uh, by the way, who was featuring the two cutest orphans you've ever seen. <laughs> and went to a school program on Monday afternoon, and then we headed back home. I mean, it was kind of a quick trip. But, you know, I'm haunted by this question. When I'm there, dealing with wanting to be there, and the Lord saying to me, okay, I, by the way, I got lots of pictures. I'll be glad to show you. Do you love me more than these? My mom had to answer that question. My dad, when we left and went far, far away, a thousand miles away from either set of parents with our little kids. And she knew I was fulfilling a, a, a kind of a more divine purpose than just setting up shop in Midwest City and doing, you know, turning a wrench as a plumber. I, I would have not ever made a living, Fred. I'm sorry. I was not a plumber. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Do you love me more than these? What's your these? <laughs> you know? Now, look at verse 16. So, there, he asks the question again. He is asking 15. Do you love me? And with only a slight variation, he repeats the question. The, the answer is, okay, if you love me, then feed my sheep, care for my sheep. That's a shepherding answer. That is, take care of the people that, that have come to faith in me. Um... Uh, interestingly, in verse six, we're going to see a different uh, idea in verse 17, but in, in 16, Peter's answer indicates that Peter knows that Jesus knows what he's thinking before he speaks it. Wow. Did you know that? Uh, Psalm 139, David says, this is Old Testament for the Holy Spirit's kind of all the time around with inside people like it is with you and me. And David says in Psalm 139, before a word is formed in my tongue, you know it. Wow. Jesus had that same ability. Now, now go with me. Uh, this is one of the parts of heaven that he brought with him. Go to 225. This is kind of chilling and maybe a little stirring to me. 225, it's the last verse of chapter 2. I'm going to actually back up to verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. Look at verse 25. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself 
knew what was in man. So when somebody came up to him and said, I want to follow you, he knew whether they really wanted to or not. It was hard to lie to Jesus. You know? Even a little white one. Because he knew what was in your heart. Peter recognizes here, in verse 16, uh, he says, Lord, you know it's in my heart. By the time he gets to 17, Peter acknowledges that Jesus knows not only his thoughts, but all things. Lord, you know all things. You catch that? Lord, I know, verse 17, Lord, you know all things. Therefore, you know, and I, this, is a, this, is a, this is a paraphrase, and it's not intended in the original Greek, but could we put it in the terms, you should know whether I love you. That's the third time. So he's asking him three times. Um, so Jesus says to him again, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Now, is it, by verse 17, is it, Peter's a little hurt here, John says. It's kind of understandable. Is he questioning his loyalty? Or is there a connection between uh, what is being said here, what he's allowing him to affirm? Is there a connection with the three times that Peter had denied Jesus a couple of chapters previous? You're going to deny me three times? And he did, you remember, before the rooster crowed? Is there an... What a wonderful second chance to not only say, oh, Lord, you know I love you, but to get to say it three times. Jesus probably didn't need that as much as Peter needed to hear three times himself saying, you know I love you. Despite what I did before. Okay, now let's go into the next section here. We're going to go to verse 18 and 19. Peter no longer has anything to hide, and he acknowledges that. Um, and so we're going to go now to 18 and 19 and hear um, Jesus go on from the, uh, the, the thrice question here, do you love me? John, would you mind to read verse 18 and 19? Okay, let's think just for a minute here. I'm looking for a reference here. Uh, let's, let's think here about what is going on now in this conversation. Okay, Jesus' words are really solemn here to Peter, beginning in verse 18. Um, he begins them, but this is interesting to me. Uh, let, let's, let's get a couple of, a couple of other um, uh, references. Would somebody go to 1338? Grab 1338 and read it. Anybody? L.E., thank you. And uh, somebody else, if you'd go to 15 and read 18 through 21. Thank you, Karen. Okay, now, let's talk about this for a minute. Jesus' words are very solemn. 
but they're not hopeless. And I want you to hang with me here for just a minute while we deal with these two verses, okay? He uses the words to begin with it. He uses the words, depending on what Bible you're reading, he uses the words, truly, truly. How many got truly, truly in verse? Okay. Uh, you might have very truly. Anybody got very truly? Okay, a couple of us. Or you might have, if you're reading from the King James, you may hear verily, verily. Now, that phrase was only used by John. Uh, it was not used in the other three Gospels. The truly, truly, verily, 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 very truly. But it's used by John 26 times in his Gospel. He kind of really tries to connect us with the truth here. Now, um, uh, who got 1338? Thank you, Ellie. Isn't it interesting that he used that phrase, at least according to John's recollection, he used it when he predicted Peter's denial. Truly, truly. Very truly. Verily, verily. However you want to say it. He said it there and he says it here when he, he says to Peter, he's given him a prediction, a prophecy of what the end of his life is going to be like. And here's what the end of his life is going to be like. You'll recognize it somewhat from um, what, what he's dealing with here in verse 18, you'll recognize it some from the description of Jesus in chapter 15. Karen, would you go to verse 18 in chapter 15 to read down through 21? Eventually, Peter will see this as a badge of honor. He doesn't see it here. So the idea here is that um, although these words are solemn, they're not hopeless. The description here is the same description that Jesus gives of what's going to happen to him. He's going to be bound as a prisoner and led somewhere where he doesn't want to go. The same thing is going to happen to Peter. Arrested. Bond. Bound. Now, I want you to catch my comment on, on, chapter, on verse 19 here. Okay? Because Jesus predicts, he says, even though that's going to happen to you, what also you need to know, he was signifying by his death, he would glorify God. Now, here, here's my, my statement here that I want you to catch. Peter's fate will ultimately glorify God. He will die. Uh, tradition tells us, this is not biblical, but tradition tells us, by the way, if you read in the book of Acts, which comes right after the Gospel of John, if you read the book of Acts, after chapter 12, you don't hear from Peter anymore. Why? Well, he's probably gone from the sea. The, 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 kind of, the subject turns to the Apostle Paul in chapter 12 of Acts, when it's telling the, the first century story, the early church, all that, Okay. Now, what's interesting is tradition tells us, this is not biblical, but some traditions at least tell us that Peter also was crucified on a Roman cross, but that he requested, you know where I'm, where I'm going with this? He requested to be hung, uh, crucified upside down because he didn't deserve the same crucifixion as his master. Now, whether or not you believe that, isn't it interesting is that was how Jesus said 
one of these days, you're going to do lots of things, and at the end of your life, you're going to be led somewhere where you don't want to go, and you're going to glorify me and all that. Now, here's my statement that I want, want you to kind of hang with me just for a minute. Peter's death, Jesus is saying here, will not be merely a tragedy. It won't be only a tragedy. Now, I can't resist rewinding the clock because it was this week, 23 years ago. Where were you when the Oklahoma City bombing took place? I remember exactly where I was. I was outside on, on 55th Street at the old church. I'd gone out to get something out of my car, and I thought either a gun went off next to me or somebody blew a, some truck blew a tire right next to me on 55th Street. I get back inside and start hearing all these stories of, guess what's happened downtown? That was a tragedy, horrible tragedy, but it wasn't merely a tragedy. Think of all the things that have come out of it. And that's hard to, kind of hard to see sometimes because it was horrible. It wasn't right. It wasn't the way things were supposed to be. But God made it not just a tragedy. Peter's death is not what Peter's wife wanted. It's probably not what Peter wanted. But he says to Peter, your life will also have, a, your, your life and your death will also have a greater meaning. He's being called to embrace glory, but not his own glory. You catch that? The greatest purpose I can live in life is to live for the glory of God alone. And sometimes that's painful. That's what he's kind of revealing here in verse 19. Now, let's go, let's go on back and read the next three verses, starting at 20. Okay? Ron, do you mind to read 20 through 22? Okay, so Peter's just been told that he's not going to like things coming up. And so, beginning with verse 20, then his rebuttal to that is, uh, what about him? He's walking with Jesus, John, who kind of self-identifies himself here in the way that he does in his gospel. Um, it says, what about him? Uh, it's interesting to me that um, uh, there's a parenthesis here. By the way, I think a great sermon, uh, thesis, something, would be the parentheses in John. They're all just fascinating. And here's another one coming in verse 20 because it talks about something that happened. Now, I want you to go with me to 13, John 13. This is in the upper room. And I want you to hear what happened here. This is John's recollection of what happened in the upper room on the first Maundy Thursday, okay, you could argue, on the night before Jesus was um, uh, betrayed and crucified. So we're going to go to chapter 13, and we're going to go to um, uh, verse 23. Here we go. The disciples began looking at one another. He, by the way, Jesus 
just predicted his betrayal, the disciples began looking at one another and at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who is that? That's John, the guy who's writing this gospel. Doesn't ever come out and say it was me, but he does. So Simon Peter, verse 24, gestured to him and said, and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. Catch that? Peter is not right next to him. He's down the road somewhere. Remember that picture? They all sat on one side of the table, I guess, because Da Vinci drew it that way, right? Uh, Peter says, find out who he's talking about. Isn't that interesting? So we come back here to, uh, to chapter 21, and um, um, uh, there's that kind of note there, because Peter was asking that question then. What about him? And um, Peter kind of attempts to change the subject. And who is he asking about? He's asking about John, the one who's writing this book. Um. It's interesting to me, uh, if you look back at verse 19, um, he, then, Jesus then says to him, it's not a question, it's very imperative. In, in verse 20, um, uh, it's also said in a different way in verse um, uh, sorry, verse 22, it's also said in a different way in verse 19. He basically says, follow me. This is twice he has said that. Just follow me to Peter. In verse 19 and again here in verse 22. A very simple invitation. You and I have to get this. I think about the students we're trying to disciple. I think about those whom I've led to Christ over the years and tried to disciple. And I realize that it's much simpler than maybe I've made it sometimes. Jesus' invitation to you is like his invitation to Peter here twice. He just said, would you just follow me? Just follow me. Put one foot in front of the other. Put one day in front of the other and just follow me. Now, there's, there's some training that has to go into that. There's some maturity that has to go into that. There's some multiplication that is expected if I'm following him. But basically, when I look back on it, uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm evaluating my life at the end of today and thinking, okay, did I glorify God today? One of the questions I can ask myself is, did I follow Jesus today? Don't you think? It's kind of simple when you put it in those terms. And Jesus said it twice here. While Peter's trying to kind of divert the subject, he just says, Peter, just follow me. Follow me. That's all he's ever asked any of us to do, by the way. Just follow me. I'm, I remember thinking at eight years old when I accepted Christ, what does it mean to be a Christian? While that's not a really bad question, being a Christian is a little harder for me to determine these days than just, am I a Christ follower? Am I following him? It just kind of clears it up a little bit for me. So that's what he asked Peter two times here. His answer to Peter when he's saying, what about this guy? Is if you'll just follow me, we'll, he'll, 
his story will take care of itself. So as he gets into uh, verse 23, 23, 24, and 25, he's going to get back to this idea of what, where Peter's heading, what he's doing. There's, there's, and, and he's also going to deal with, um, uh, he's gonna, also going to deal, John's going to deal with this. This is the end of his gospel, and he's going to kind of close it up here. And um, he re- remarks about a rumor. Somebody read 23, 24, and 25 and close this out, and then I'll finish this up. Now, zero in for just a second on, on verse 23. My advice to you, if you ever teach, or certainly if you preach, is advice to preachers. If you ever say anything that could be misunderstood, it will be. The law of the land. If you ever say anything that might be misunderstood, it will be by somebody. So what does Jesus say in verse 23 that is misunderstood according to this rumor? And that's, by the way, what goes in your next blank. A rumor circulated. What's the rumor? Rumor circulated that John won't die until Jesus comes back. That is not what he says in verse 23. That's not what he said before that, is it? If I want him to stay till I return, what's that to you? It's what he said. But it starts being circulated. Evidently, they had prayer chains then. I don't know. Oh, that was ugly. Sorry. Lord, forgive me, please. Um, uh, but it's, it's misinterpreted. I, I read, by the way, Fox News this, this week reported about a guy by the name of David Mead. Do you know that name? David Mead, who's a numerologist, is predicting that there's some planet X that's going to strike the Earth, guess when? April 23rd, 2018. When is that? Tomorrow. Okay? I would, he's going to buy a jet. Well, that's a great idea. I'm sorry that the car dealers are closed today. We will have to go to Dallas. Um, uh, uh, I was working on laundry yesterday, and I got a bunch of shirts that I need to press for work this week. I think I'm going to skip it. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to skip it. Um, in verse 24, Jesus now speaks to them in first person. Uh, John, sorry, now speaks to them in first person. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one, he says in the rest of the book. Uh, by the way, if you, if you like this terminology, I love how he opens the first letter of John, 1 John 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, I just got to tell you, I knew him, I touched him, and I'm going to tell you about him. Here he kind of says a similar thing. He's talking in first person. I saw all this. I wrote it all down. And then he admits in verse 25 that he couldn't record everything. There was too much. How much did Jesus accomplish in three years of ministry? I was once at my mom's dinner table when I was in college with, uh, and, and there was a speaker in town doing a, doing a kind of a combined meeting with all the churches in the area. His name, you may not recognize, but some people in the room will recognize. His name was Dale Oldham, Dr. Dale Oldham. He was a, he was a, a prince of a preacher uh, and was uh, on the radio, on our, our radio broadcast. And um, 
It was just like, it was like sitting with some great statesman over dinner. And he and I stayed at the table a while after everybody was gone. I said, Dr. Oldham, you got to tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with whether or not to go to seminary. He said, well, I'll just say it this way. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. I don't think a couple of three years in seminary is going to hurt you. Um, I, I put, look across the page at 30 and 31 from chapter 20. This is after Thomas's confession. John gives another, you remember we looked at this a couple weeks ago, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He can't record it all. What did John record? You ready for this? Enough for you and I to believe. Enough. I've had some nostalgic moments in the last few days. I had, had a really nostalgic one this morning because uh, I heard the strains of a tune that Rhonda and I sang with a group of people back when we were in college. Um, uh, the name of the song that we sang, what, 150 times in one summer uh, was Would You Believe in Me? And it asked a bunch of rhetorical questions. I'll give you three of them. If I could die for you and live again, would you believe in me? If I could let you feel the nail prints in my hand, would you believe in me? If I could leave for you my footprints in the sand, right here, chapter 21, would you believe in me? And I began to think about that this week, and I recognized that Jesus has done enough for me to believe. I wasn't there to see it, but you remember when we studied chapter 20, he said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and me. He has done abundantly enough for me to believe. Therefore, my choice, your choice is simple. You ready? Two words, really simple. Hard to do, easy to remember. Follow me. That's all he says to do. If you'll do that today, you can pillow your head in peace. If you can do that tomorrow, you can pillow your head in peace. Just follow him. 